Welcome to this Ashall Media Podcast, supporting a growing community of financial advisors. Hello and welcome to the Rockhold Podcast channel. During the month of June, equity markets slipped into bear market territory, led, of course, by the US uh, S&P 500. Interest rates, well, they went up. Uh, in the US, they surprised with a 75 basis points rise. In the UK, here at home, as we know, 25 basis points. And uh, even in Switzerland, uh, rates went up and they went up um, 50 basis points. However, inflation does perhaps appear to be peaking. Uh, we've also seen the early beginnings of the long bond beginning to, to fall back. Uh, we're going to explore these happenings um, in quite a lot of detail in the podcast that follows. Um, let's get going. Morning, guys. Morning, John. Morning, Asim. Morning. Morning, Andrew. Hope you both well. So, guys, it's been an interesting second quarter. So um, a few questions for you, if you don't mind. The first one is around diversification, because I think it was Warren Buffett who said diversifications for idiots. And I never quite understood that. But you you, you kind of wonder, don't you, after the second quarter and, um, you know, the classic balance fund, the 60-40, you would kind of expect and hope that the blend of different asset classes would help to smooth the returns. But looking at um, the table of asset classes, most things seem to have been correlated. So well, what's the trigger for that? Um, Asim, do you want to go first on that one? Uh, right. Okay. So the, the assumption underlying this diversification notion is that you don't have a risk event or a live risk uh, that affects all the asset classes, right? So you've got this idiosyncratic risk and, and systematic risk um, uh, classification, right? So the issue now, what we are seeing is that there is a live risk, a geopolitical risk that is affecting the overall asset classes. So it's affecting through inflation to the, towards the bond side of things. And also the rates are, uh, are helping uh, to revalue the equity side. Uh, so this live, this one risk, which can't be diversified away, unfortunately, is actually affecting all of the asset classes. So the, the, the idea of diversification is, is sort of out of the window. Um, but there, if we class currencies as an asset class, uh, then you, you would see uh, that, that there is a, 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 a flight to quality and a flight to dollar or safety. So you see a, a dollar index. Uh, I mean, right now, this moment, it's at 108.49. So that has taken um, a, a huge flight since this risk on event, uh, sorry, risk off event. Um, so yes, so, so as far as you have this underlying uh, geopolitical risk, which affects all asset classes, the, the idea of diversification is sort of... Uh, uh, it, it won't apply. Yeah. Okay, John. What 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 are your what are your thoughts on this one? That seems absolutely spot on in in terms of the, the theoretical. Um, and um, of course, the the really important point um, to also extract from all of this is that it's inflation that's really done the damage, um, because we've had you know a forty year bull market in bonds. We had sharply negative real interest rates. Um, uh, we had a, a, a liquidity-induced rally uh, in equity markets. So both bonds and equities had enjoyed a very, very strong period of growth over a protracted period. 
fueled by you know plentiful uh, money um, and, and um, obviously very accommodative fiscal policy too. So um, we were at the point coming into this year where you know bond markets could be regarded as pretty expensive, equity markets could be regarded as pretty expensive. Certainly, a long way from their long-term mean. Um, so, you know, the key here was that um, the geopolitical risk exacerbated the inflation problems. Uh, they were already emerging from the supply side pressures that we'd seen. You know, the, um, but the, the war only really exacerbated the trends, and I think made things worse. So, instead of sort of seeing a way, a quick way through the inflation uh, blip. Um, you know, it became a long, more protracted problem with higher rates of inflation recorded in both, uh, you know, the US, the UK, and of course in, in Europe. So I think it's, it's really been the impact on inflation and inflation expectations that's taken its toll on financial markets. And what we have learned as asset allocators over the year is that occasionally, while uh, assets, uh, you know, are meant to, um, you know, offer diversification benefits occasionally uh, in extreme periods, um, they correlate to one. Um, and, you know, this does happen. We know it does happen. Uh, so we just have to be very wise to that as asset allocators. And of course, one way we can uh, protect on that is via, you know, up in cash allocations, taking the duration risk, which comes from, you know, rising inflation, rising interest rates out of portfolios which is really what we've endeavoured to do, to try and minimise or cushion the impact uh, on markets uh, in terms of our portfolios. Yeah, I mean, agreed. In fairness, I think our performance has actually been extremely good, you know, despite the classic uh, diversification rules not really, you know, coming true this time. Uh, as Asim said, you know, dollar's been really helpful uh, or particularly helpful. And then, you know, shifting around the yield curve has helped enormously. Okay, so second um, second question then, and that's really around um, good old inflation, our, our dear friend. Um, is it peaking? You know, there, there are some sort of signs that it might be. We've seen Goldman Sachs Commodity Index um, sort of trending, rolling over, trending down a little bit. We've seen... Uh, Dr. Copper, as I call it, that leading indicator, uh, also trending down. What are our thoughts, John? Well, obviously, we, you know, inflation has been the problem. Um, and obviously, as soon as, you know, obviously, early signs that perhaps it may be peaking out um, are starting to actually sort of uh, get factored into market thinking uh, to agree. Uh, we'd always said that inflation would be higher for longer. I think that, to be honest, I think I, I coined that phrase over a year ago and before it was adopted by the Bank of England and uh, uh, in the fourth quarter of last year. But we've always felt inflation would be higher for longer. Um, but we always felt that probably Q2 would see the peaking out of inflation. And Okay, um, the May number on the US inflation was poor at 8.6, uh, and we've got the June reading coming through um, in a few days' time. Um, um, but I think the signs are that the US inflation numbers should start to peak out, um, precisely because of what you're saying. The year and the year and year effects of uh, starting to fall out the indices as we thought they would do moving into the second half of the year. So I think it's fair to say that we would expect with a lot of the commodity prices now coming back quite sharply on a year and year basis that there should be some uh, positive effect. Obviously, oil 
and the impact on petrol prices is, is, is the biggest sort of sticky factor at short term, as are obviously, you know, the, the tight labour markets and the impact on wages. Now, we, when we shift that discussion to the UK, the picture is a lot worse because uh, here in the UK, because of the energy price rises that we still got coming through in the second phase in October, um, we know inflation in the UK could probably hit 11% or so, um, and average probably around about 10, 10% in the final quarter. So we do have to be a bit careful about, you know, the area that we're referring to. But in, in, the, in the case of the US, um, I do think we are seeing some tentative signs of peaking out of inflation, um, precisely because of the rolling over commodity prices. Labour markets are tight, they're still problematic, but they are starting to weaken just a little bit now. Um, and one would expect perhaps US inflation to start moving down uh, into the second half of the year towards that sort of 4% level, 4 to 5% level towards the end of the year. The UK, as I've just said, probably higher, but into next year, um, further trending down on both uh, sets of indices. So um, some moderate signs of hope out there in terms of the peaking. Um, Obviously, in the UK, you have this additional issue with, um, you know, the, the, the strike action that's in place and, and the wage potential wage price spiral perhaps being a, a little bit more uh, problematic than it is in the United States. Um, and we're just going to have to see how that plays out. That's always been our biggest worry that, um, you know, after a period of heightened headline inflation, you know, it starts to get baked into core inflation through higher wage price spiral. Um, so we'll have to see how that pans out. But yes, some tentative signs that we are getting there and that is getting priced into markets. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, good, good. Um, Asim, anything to add on that? I think uh, your point on Dr. Copper and the base metals, um, usually you would see these uh, rolling over and um, what, what Copper is currently doing is as a sign of demand destruction or as a sign of a moving into an anticipation of a recession. Um, so I think that's what the base metals are currently showing. So, but interesting fact is that you also in backwardation in, in other commodities such as oil. So there is a, a demand factor that's being built in. Um, on the inflation side, as John said, just to add to that, the sticky component of inflation such as food and energy, these two, food and energy and, and, and rent to some extent, but food and energy especially are also dependent on this live risk, this geopolitical risk, which is affecting all asset classes and especially the inflation side so i think that's the, we just need to keep that in mind that it's a yes the the inflation we are expecting inflation numbers to roll over but there's a there's a component of this inflation which is not which can't be measured uh, i.e or forecasted uh, i would say uh, because we don't know what the geopolitical risks uh, how long will that remain and how much can it impact more uh, these the uh, the food and energy mix yeah okay all right thank you um all right uh, inexorably linked you could say are interest rates um maybe short-term rates are yet to peak so we're not quite there yet maybe uh, but longer term rates seem to be uh, rolling over and trending down is that right john we've certainly seen a, a big move over the past um in a few months, um, both up in bond rates and uh, at, at the long end and, 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 and a bit of recovery at the long end. Um, you know, within the last month or so, US bond yields got to a shade 
under three and a half percent, three point four nine at one stage on ten year, uh, and they're back been back below three uh, percent and sort of floating around that level at the moment. So. Yeah, and that really reflects quite a big change in interest rate expectations over the past month. Um, you know, when we were on this call, um, a podcast a month or so ago, we talked about, you know, the dramatic rise in short-term rate expectations and the expectation that US short rates would potentially get up to about 3.8. That was built into the market with, you know, 11 plus interest rate increases forecast to come through between now and uh, you know the middle of next year that's shifted a long way and um partly reflecting uh, uh, obviously the um the expectation that um you know the economy is is slowing down um and you know, recession fears are building so us bonds at the longer end are starting to get support for that slowdown story there's no there's no question about that the one unknown that we have out there is really the impact of QT uh, into the second half of the year, because we really haven't got into QT in any great way at this stage. And of course, when QT kicks in, there's going to be a lot of bonds kicking around, which aren't going to be mocked up by the central banks and commercial banks. They're going to be have them mocked up by the non-bank financial sector. Um, so there is always the potential that, you know, um, you know big supply um, could cause bond rates still to rise from here, even though we're heading into a recessionary picture. So, um, yeah, tentative signs that bond rates are offering some value at least. Um, so primarily because obviously the, as the economy slows, inflation expectations slow, long-term inflation expectations are now anchored back around 2.5% rather than close to 3%. Um, so there's some value in bonds now at the long end, and it's why actually we positioned to start buying them over the last month or so, you know, into this slowdown scenario. But it's not to say that, you know, as I say, the unknown is really QT and what impact that has. But other than that, you know, um, some nibbling at the long end makes sense uh, into a recessionary scenario. Okay, John, super, thank you. Asim? Uh, right, okay, so yes, the long, long end, so we were looking at around 25, 30 years uh, mark. So those usually tend to, go with the <clears throat> with more of the secular trends so you're looking at uh, the technology the gdp etc um uh, percentage uh, or growth longer end uh, lo long term growth um and you see that it's it's anchored somewhere around 3% which is also the the terminal rate for the fund uh, federal fund rates so this this is around the same mark so it's it's pretty much in line with what the the terminal rates are at this point um, the interesting part is from five to 10 years. So you see there's a lot more compression that's come in over the last month. And again, that's to do with uh, the increase in probability of a recession, uh, flight to safety and all that kind of good things. Um, now, the problem with all of this is that you've got this first leg down, but your monetary policy is still in a, in, in a tightening mode. So it will affect, it will keep on affecting the shorter end of the yield curve, which you uh, mentioned, John. Um, so yes, so once we have, we, we get to a point where we start seeing that yes, the monetary policy is going to now shift from the tightening side into expansionary mode, or at least a, a, a some sort of pause. I think that's where the duration play comes in because right now the problem with all of this duration play, although we are shifting towards the, the longer end of the yield curve is that the, 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 the risk and return both come from the duration play on the long end of the yield curve. 
and it can expose the fixed income to high risk and high return. Um, so the timing is very key and we, we're just keeping an eye on this. Okay, all right, that, that's helpful, guys, thank you. Um, we constantly, it seems, um, trot out the phrase that uh, equities are an efficient discounting mechanism. Now, I, I think the three of us get this entirely, but for, for listeners, can, can we just drill into that a little bit more and sort of explain what that means? And perhaps in, in the context of, you know, some investors might think, well, I just throw the towel in, you know, markets have slumped and, and I'm just going to get out of here, you know, sort of capitulation, if you like. Um, but if markets, if equity markets in particular, are indeed an efficient discounting mechanism, that would seem an unwise strategy on, on the part of that nervous investor. John, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the bottom line is that financial markets are always looking forward. And the issue is who is the best forecaster of the future? Is it the financial markets um, or is it, you know, or is it central banks? And uh, I would tend to, fork, fork, uh, you know, tend to think that the collective wisdom of the financial markets are probably a little bit ahead of the central banks. Sure. Um, and there's also sort of a little bit of rivalry between the people in the bond market who like to think they're reading the economic tea leaves a bit better than the people in the equi equity market. Um, I think we've, we've observed that sort of tension over the years. Um, but no doubt in my mind that, um, you know, a lot gets priced in very, very quickly and efficiently um, in terms of the news flow. Now, obviously, we can only price in what we see and we can only price it in as quickly and efficiently as we see. Um, and there's always these external events which come and, uh, you know, not, not the markets, of course, and can lead to big movements. But essentially speaking, um, we've had a lot to absorb over the course of the last six months in terms of the change in the regime. You know, the low inflation environment has been heavily challenged. That's hit the bond market. You know, the 40, 40 year downward channel in bond prices, uh, in, in bond yields, uh, bond market in bonds has been challenged to some degree. The, equity, the continue upward momentum in equity markets has been challenged um, quite substantially as we've seen. So a lot is now getting priced in to the market. Um, and the market is looking forward now and expecting, uh, and it, you know, the probability of a recession has now moved up to broadly 50%. I mean, last month on this podcast, on the previous podcast, you asked me, are we going into recession? And I said, probably, yes. Um, you know, all, you know, lesson of history is very, very difficult to slow things down uh, and prevent a recession at this stage. And I think, you know, the last month has only served to heighten that and for that probability to get factored into markets. In fact, this morning, a uh, survey out from Bloomberg survey out today, which surveyed the UK, UK market, um, now says there's a 45% chance of recession, which is up from 15% at the beginning of the year. So it's been a massive shift in market expectations for, for a recession coming over the course of the next 12 months. So the market is coming our way in the sense it's starting to look for a recession in 2023 and it's almost priced in. So the realities are we're looking towards a very sharp slowdown. We've adjusted our earnings expectations for the market. Okay, bottom up numbers are still showing growth in US um, S&P earnings. There's still some optimism out there that actually 
ultimately companies are doing better than we, we're giving them credit for, um, and that could well help the stock market. But at a top-down level, we would you know, tend to think that there's some scope for disappointment there, and we're pricing that into the market, you know, what we're expecting for the market. So the bottom line is, lots priced in, we're pricing in for a session, markets have moved back a long way, there comes a point where actually there's a price for everything, and the important thing for all of us is not to, you know, not to throw away the, 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 the lessons learned from the past, which is you don't, you don't throw, that, throw in the towel um, uh, when things are tough. In fact, you know, Warren Buffett, that you quoted many times on this podcast, has a very famous saying, which is, you know, um, you, know you, 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 you buy when there's fear on the streets um, um, and when there's optimism, you know, you're getting out. So at the moment, you know, we don't necessarily have complete fear. You know, we're not saying the market can't go lower, equity markets can't dip lower, but certainly the lesson of history is that you would tend to want to buy in or average in uh, into weakness if you're building up longer term portfolio exposure. And certainly now with the stock market valuations much more attractive back towards longer term 10 year means, um, I think, you know, I think the message is that uh, um, now is not the time to come out and you certainly don't want to realise losses unless you have to, if you're building a long-term portfolio, now is the time to add to positions um, as we move forward. That's helpful, John, thanks. Um, Asim, so um, equity markets in particular are an efficient discounting system. Uh, discuss. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything John said. Um, and um, I think it's, it's, it's also sentiment-driven and behaviour side of things uh, of, the, of the markets. Um, and the markets tend to overshoot and overprice things. So right now, there's a lot more fear because there's an unknown unknown, there's a geopolitical issue, and then, there's a, then, the, then there is an inflation side of things. So right now, I think the market is or has priced in a lot of these things. But if you look at it positively, You've had a World War Three fears. You've had a massive issue in Russia, Ukraine. You've had a Ukraine, sorry, uh, um, this issue impacting Europe um, and inflation across the world. And the monetary policy tightening for the last six months uh, across the developed world. And still, an and 8.6 CPI, and still the markets are down, what, 20, 20, 20 odd percent? Um, they've not, uh, they've, they, there's no sign of capitulation right now. But if you look at the, the volatility index, another thing which we, we keep a very close eye on, it, the volatility index is not forecasting um, any major crash, as I would say. It's still a very orderly uh, descent into a, a sort of a, a level where, uh, as John said, that, that there is a lot more interest, institutional interest that can kick in. Because um, if you look at uh, the comments from last year, 2021, there were a lot of comments coming through the central banks, especially from the Fed, that there's a froth in the market. So that froth, which was developed um, uh, post-pandemic um, due to all of these fiscal and monetary policy um, uh, uh, easing, is now almost out of the system now. And it is the market is now pricing things on the earnings side of things. So we'll see that as the earnings season kicks in um, end of this, this week, we'll see what that means. And also, we'll also see uh, what happens with the CPI numbers that come out tomorrow. Um, but overall, consensus is that we are we are to a, the market has already discounted most of the bad news uh, for the next twelve months and and some more. Um, and as as soon as we start getting some green shoots or some some sort of good news, the, these markets are are uh, ripe for a rally. 
Okay, that, that's good. Thank you. Um, we've dropped the R word a few times in this podcast, uh, recession. Uh, do we anticipate um, the forthcoming recession, if indeed we do anticipate it, to be a technical one, i.e. two consecutive quarters of GDP, negative growth, or uh, dare I say a real one, something which is more damaging? Um, what What is our thinking on this, John, please? At the moment, we've, um, we certainly think we're, the chances of a technical recession are high. They're, they're more than 50%. Um, the depth of the recession is really going to depend on the policy response um, um, from here because and the speed at which you know, the inflation numbers start to roll over. If we, if, if we, the, the way we're reading it is the next, couple, next month or two, inflation headlines start to roll over, some of the pressure for further or, and siren calls for further rate rises may start to ease. So instead of talking about, you know, US interest rates going up to 3.8 next year, I think the market has moved a long way in the last few weeks and now starts to anticipate that actually rate cuts coming in um, either later this year or early part of next year. I think that's actually a, the more sensible way of looking at things now, given the way um, things are likely to pan out. So I'm, you know, it, it, in the States, um, the chances of recession probably 50-50 higher here in the UK and even higher again in Europe. And I think, you know, we have to take each continent and, and region uh, on, on its own merits. Um, so relatives are, um, avoiding a deep recession is gonna really be all about, you know, the, the speed at which the rollover inflation happens. And I think, I think, I think, we will start to see some moderation in, in the in the rate rises as we as we move through the second part of this year, and the probabilities are that we will see, you know, it, well, it won't feel great, but I don't think we're heading towards sort of you know GDP contractions of four five percent, you know, a really desperately deep recession. We may see you know a few quarters of negative growth of one maybe two percent maximum, uh, so it won't feel good. Um, but I don't think at this stage, at least, and, you know, obviously it's, you always qualify your comments um, depending on what's coming through. But at this stage, at least, we're not we're not talking about uh, moving into a sort of 1920s style depression or anything like that. OK, John, that, that's encouraging. Asim, what, what are your thoughts on this, please? Um, I, th I think it's uh, right. So the. The problem right now is that if you look at the BOE, ECB, and the Fed's uh, latest communication, and um, they all talk about the same thing, which is the the price stability and inflation as their number one enemy, um, and they they also admitted that the food and and price, uh, sorry, the food and uh, energy inflation is out of the controls of the the monetary policy. But to 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 look uh, as, as to control this monetary, uh, sorry, the inflation side or the demand side of things, they are. Uh, ready to do the monetary tightening, which they're already in. Um, so all of that into a slower economy. I'm not saying that it's completely slow, slow down in, in the US or in, in the UK, uh, would only mean that they are going to create a bit more damage than we are currently sort of uh, anticipating. And there, the, and there is a recession, which is, as, as John said, that we, we were expecting since uh, last year, uh, Q4. Uh, some sort of technical recession. What, what, what we did not see or foresee at that point was the geopolitical risk, which is now in the mix. Um, so yes, so all of that 
a tightening monetary policy into a slower economy, and we'll see the GDP numbers come out um, later this month. Um, what does that mean? That means, yes, the, 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 it's deliberately being pushed into a recessionary environment. Um, how sharp would that be? Because, um, as you know, and, and John would say, is, is the monetary policy is a, is a sledgehammer. So it's a very blunt tool. So how far does the slowdown and the monetary policy tightening go into creating a recession? What kind of recession? Because don't forget, the unemployment rate is very low at this point. Uh, the GDP numbers are quite positive. Uh, except for the last one quarter. So we'll see what happens in the next GDP numbers come out this uh, end of this month. Um, and the labor participation rate is picking up. So all of these things are also positive side. And if you look at the China, the numbers coming out of China are also a bit more positive. So if you look at the PMI numbers are picking up in China in, in June, uh, the Shanghai reopening will also help the, the supply side of the inflation uh, equation. Um, so if you take all of that into mix, so yes, the technical recession is the most likely outcome uh, in, in, into a, a stronger economy, uh, or sorry, stronger labor market um, as of right now. Um, but as we travel or progress through the year, what happens with this monetary policy? Where do they call it a quit uh, or, or, a, or a pause? That will determine what happens next. Okay. All right, guys, thank you. And, and you know, let me just end by saying, uh, flicking through the performance uh, data, as, as I am prone to, <laughs> um, I'm, you know, bound to say congratulations, guys, really, because, you know, it's a sea of green in terms of performance on a relative basis to the IA sectors, okay, in absolute terms. We've, we've lost um, value and we're not complacent or arrogant about that in any way, but certainly relative to the peer group, the competition, we've done extremely well. So on behalf of the shareholders, the investors, uh, thank you guys very much indeed. And thank you all very much for joining and listening. And we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you very much. Bye for now.